This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, the Stephen Bradbury of He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping can take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good day, Adam. How are you? Uh, pretty good, thank you. How's yourself? Yeah, yeah, doing well. Doing well. That's good. Hey, uh, big show coming up uh, this week. Today, we're going to be asking you, Thomas, have the training wheels fallen off the commodity supercycle already? We've got some sweet data coming at you in the form of wages and jobs data. And why is Toyota slashing its car production? by 40%. But first, Thomas, it's reporting season here in Australia, and if you haven't heard already, Equity Mates guys are covering off a lot of the earnings calls this week, talking to CEOs, so there's lots going on. Thomas, I was wondering, what's caught your eye so far? Yeah, I mean, I think the general flavour is is everyone's doing well, more, more or less in line with expectations, but expectations were strong, so companies are doing well, profits are, profits are pretty good, yeah, and the outlooks are pretty decent. The one the one that caught my I was listening to the Equity Mates guys today, and they, had, they did a bit of a rap, and I listening to Goodman Group. I've never heard of them, never heard of them. No, I know, the little Aussie, Aussie company doing good on the... On the on the global stage, punching above their weight, yeah, no, they're, they're, yeah, they're doing. They they make they well, no, they rent sheds and industrial spaces, big boxes right. and automated sheds. So they're in hardware. <laughs> yeah. They're like a like a Bunnings, <laughs> Goodman's warehouse. <laughs> the Goodman guys, I think, is the. <laughs> No, no, they, they, yeah, they, they rent like warehouse spaces, and so one of their biggest customers is Amazon. Amazon accounts right. for seven percent of their revenue, and basically, like it's sort of like halfway houses for for retail delivery. It's one of their sort of one of their one of their plays. So they have these sort of like yeah warehouse spaces in in industrial areas. That's their that's mm. their story. But they're they're an Aussie company. They started here, but now they're all over the world. I think they're in seven different countries now. Right, so so Amazon Amazon have their big online stores, the the marketplaces, and mm. then the Good, Goodman Group lease their sheds to Amazon, and Amazon store all their stuff there. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. But one of the, one of the things they're talking about is automated sheds. So it's not just right. a it's not just a you know a big box um, where people come and put their stuff, but it's sort of a, a distribution center that, that automates some of that process. So like drones and stuff flying around yeah like the future in the future yes i don't know if this that's right just there yet but that's that's sort of where they're going and and that's one of the things they're noting is they're seeing they're seeing real strong demand for infield sites so sites already 
close to major population centers, so not on the outskirts of the city, but in close to where people are to facilitate that that d- delivery. That could be interesting because with COVID, there was a lot, or well, there still is. There's a big shift to moving to working from home, mm. and so there's a lot of at least office space. I don't know if it's suitable for running an Amazon warehouse out of, but I imagine there's a lot of space maybe now that's becoming freed up. So potentially they could be taking over some of those more centralized locations to set up warehouses. Yeah, I think I think that could, that could be right. I mean, yeah, I don't know about offices, but definitely yeah, they're definitely saying that he, Greg Goodman was saying <laughs> 60% of the group's developments that actually build these things um, are now multi-story. If you are working in an office and there's a robot next to you packing goods into boxes, that's a sure sign that maybe Goodman Group has already moved in. Yeah. Into your building. <laughs> So it's just things to look out for, little tips we like to give you here on Comedian versus Economist. Yeah, yeah. How to tell if your building's slowly becoming a warehouse factory for Amazon. Mm. <laughs> because it'll happen slowly. Yeah. <laughs> just, I, had, I had Amazon as, as starting bloody department stores. They're about to launch department stores in the US. Right. Well, clever, it's isn't it? Just, just destroy <laughs> destroy big box shopping with online delivery and then recreate on big box shopping. Yeah, genius. I, it's clever, right? So, so that's obviously going well for Goodman Group. Their their share price is good. Uh, earnings were up ten percent, which was a little bit disappointing. Analysts were expecting fourteen percent, so the share price dropped a little bit on that news, but it's bounced back since. So, kind of still flat, but yeah, still strong. Outlooks look strong. I mean, what's interesting about Goodman for me is it's it's, it's another way to play online. The the move to online, like we saw this, so. You know, you and I got into the iBuy ETF, which is looking we at sure digi- did. digital retailers. Yeah, got in ahead of the curve on that one. Um, <laughs> oh, the curve had well and truly started by the time we got in. But but that play that that was a pretty good play through twenty twenty. Yeah. And you know, JB Hi-Fi had their reports. Their online sales were up eighty or seventy eight percent to one point one billion. Yeah, and Kogan went gangbusters during the mm. pandemic. That kind of they had some issues more recently, mm. but. Um, but yeah, they they went through. Yeah, the yeah. Right. So you're saying maybe this is the play. Like maybe some of those companies potentially are overvalued, or they're at least sort of right on their value. Mm. Maybe looking towards the the sort of next layer down. But yeah, I think. I mean, I think it's. I don't know. I don't know that it's a replacement of those kind of companies. Like you got to look at those metrics themselves. But I think. It, I think it's an interesting way to think about this. So. You know, so JB Hi-Fi is an example. They're, you know, their online sales up almost 80%, but it's still only 12% of total sales. So I think like 12% penetration. So Goodman's is saying, well, like most, the whole economy will go to 40% penetration. So 40% online retail right. versus in-store retail. And, you know, that, and that, that's a lot of people are expecting that over the next 10 years. Goodman expects that in the next five to six yeah, right. So you're potentially talking about a huge ramp up in, in online retail, which needs needs delivery, needs delivery centres. And these, like, there's shipping constraints around the world at the moment. It has been since mm. another impact of COVID was, um, you know, supply chain issues. So maybe this is the play as well. You know, like these big warehouses that can stockpile tons of goods for Amazon, mm. have it ready to go in, you know, in or near your the, the location where people are buying. Mm, mm, mm. Kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. You heard it here first. The best way to invest in online retail is to buy bricks and mortar. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right, well, moving on from the Goodman Group. And, Thomas, I thought I, I just wanted to check in and mm. see how we were going with the super cycle. We talked about this. The commodity super cycle. The commodity super cycle. Mm. Uh, Dr. Doom, if you remember from uh, episode season two, episode 15 of Comedian versus Economist, Dr. Doom was out saying buy commodities. Season 2, episode 11, Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan were talking up a new commodity super cycle mm. that was going to, this was going to be, this was going to see us through generations. So I, I thought it's a good time that we just check in on the super cycle, see how we're tracking. Uh, not, not so great, actually. Uh, mm. Iron ore prices are down 45% over the last three weeks. <laughs> bit of a bump, bit of a road bump in the, in the super cycle. Mm. Yeah. A folding cycle. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Iron ore prices are tanked. Yeah, Morgan Stanley saying it's the fastest price correction on record. Uh, that's got people rattled. So yeah, it's it's tanked from about over two hundred and twenty dollars. You know, towards the end of June, uh, end of July, I think it was, and now it's down to like one hundred and thirty-seven dollars or something a ton, US dollars a ton for iron ore. Wow. So yeah, very rapid uh, crash. What happened? The obvious question. What happened? Well, yeah, not not a, not a lot of answers on that question. We were gearing up for twenty years. I, <laughs> I was, I was all in. Well, it was like we 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 actually talked a whole episode about what super cycles are. And I, if I've learned anything, it's that super cycles last throughout cycles. There are there are many cycles end to end that last for twenty, thirty years. It's like that was that was four months ago. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think at the time, I think I was saying that, like, I felt like I agreed with the idea that that the super cycle Here was overplaying. Go. Yeah, no, I called it. I called it. I definitely <laughs> called it. Old twenty twenty hindsight comes out again. No, it was like they seemed to be conflating a reflation trade to like a rebound coming out of the COVID lockdown uh, right. with a super cycle and. There's a lot of talk about the infrastructure spending that was going to come. Like there was a lot of infrastructure spending that came out of 2020 as governments tried to, you know, restart their economies. Mm. And that created a lot of commodity demand. But it was a crisis response. And so it wasn't necessarily going to be ongoing. And it wasn't clear that it, that it was going to be ongoing because a lot, you know, it wasn't clear where the long run demand was going to come from. Yeah, and, and as it happens, that the the economies are starting to wind back that stimulus. China is the big story here, and they, they've announced that they're um, trying to wind back steel production to 2020 levels. And so steel gr- production has already increased 12% this year. So that means that over the next six months, they need to wind steel production back by 12% to hit, hit 2020 levels. Right. And because of the way the Chinese economy is, is structured, they're probably going to do that because the government's got a you know very strong say in how much steel gets produced. So that sort of seems to shift the tone. That announcement seems like a, people are realizing, oh, this sort of endless demand for iron ore and steel out of China isn't actually there. The construction sector is having troubles now. Evergrande, a big company in the US, in China, is is really struggling. And that accounts for something like 60% of seaborne iron ore trade, the, the Chinese construction sector. So it, the, the narrative has really shifted on iron ore and commodity demand, and that seems mm. to be whacking the commodity prices. It feels a lot like a messy breakup, this China situation. Oh, like, yeah. First, they didn't want our wine, you know. Mm. We're like, fancy a drink later, China? They're <laughs> <laughs> like, nah, I just don't feel like drinking right now. <laughs> 
Oh, sure. Okay, well, we'll see you tomorrow for the working bit, yeah? We'll put up those fences. <laughs> Bring some steel. <laughs> oh, yeah, i got a thing on tomorrow. <laughs> <Maybe. laughs> this is how every breakup's ever gone, where mm. we just keep kind of, you know, it's one thing after another. We're a bit clingy, I think. We are. <laughs> and it's, time, it's time to move on. Uh, I mean, commodities, you know, is more than just iron ore. Is it? Is it a commodities story or is it just an iron story an iron ore story at the moment i think it is copper's copped a whacking as well i don't know about the full gamut of commodities but they're the big ones for us definitely iron ore like the bhp 80 percent of their now that they're going to off off offload their oil yeah. assets 80 percent of their revenue comes through iron ore you know bhp is really an iron ore company yeah right yeah, so it has a big impact on that i mean the other thing is that it has a big impact on the on the federal budget so it, iron ore prices feed directly through into GDP, but also into the into federal government tax mm. receipts. And there's some analysis I saw that's saying for every US $10 a ton decrease in the iron ore price, it knocks $6.5 billion off GDP and $1.3 billion off tax tax revenue. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, so it has a, has a big impact. We're a very, we're a very commodity-exposed economy. I, I saw that the Australian dollar is down as well. So is that what's that got to do with iron ore? Well, I guess because you just buy iron ore in Aussie dollars. You buy Aussie iron ore in Aussie dollars. It gets priced on the global market in US dollars, but if you're an Aussie company selling Aussie iron ore, you're charging it in in Aussie dollars. So if you're buying less Aussie iron ore, the price goes down. You need less Aussie dollars to buy it. So demand for Aussie dollars goes down, and that takes the price down. Yeah, it's down to a 10-month low now, sort of pushing towards that 70% threshold. Significant mark. Is it though? I read that. I did see that as well. The seventy cent, not seventy percent. Seventy cent was like some some precipice we were going to fall off if we hit it. What? <laughs> Why is seventy cents important? Ah, uh, no, it's not really. It's just a round number. <laughs> <laughs> this has got economists written all over it. It doesn't mean anything. It's a round number, and we like round numbers. Oh, it's just a just a mark, just a sort of a like like making a hundred in cricket or something, like yeah. scoring a ton. Yeah, it doesn't actually mean anything to anyone. It's just a hundred of something, but it's fun because it's a hundred, and you've yeah. got three numbers next to your name now instead of two. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. I'm glad we got that cleared up. All right. Um, before we get on to the, on the rest of the show, uh, why don't we take a short break, grab a word from our sponsor, and be back with more Comedian vs. Economist after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. 
This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. You can always send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or over on the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. Or why not check out our Facebook and Instagram pages? Are they pages anymore? I don't know what they are. Profiles, sites, uh, somethings, handles. Uh, anyway, have a look. If you, you, I'm sure you know how these things work. CVE Podcast is where you'll find us. Thomas, it's my favorite time of the week. Uh, we've got some data to look to look at. <laughs> <laughs> what are we looking at? Uh, unemployment rate. So they had the jobs released last week. Unemployment rate dropped surprisingly, surprised, shocked a lot of people. Dropped from four point nine percent down to four point six percent, the lowest level since two thousand and eight. That's good, right? Unemployment low equals good. Yeah, generally, generally. So it dropped even though there was pretty much no jobs growth and full-time jobs actually fell by 4,200 right. jobs. So full-time jobs went down. Um, and what we saw was there was a fall in the participation rate. So people sort of stepped out of the jobs market. Right. Um, and I think and it's, it's largely a New South Wales story. So... In New South Wales, employment was down a pretty sh- massive 36,000 in the month. That's a big 36, number. 36,000, yeah, right. Yeah, and then and total hours worked was down by 7%. So, yeah, big drop in activity in New South Wales. Um, but the number of unemployed people was also down 27,000. Does that, does that cater for, um, you know, like people that might get government support or government assistance as a result of being, you know, stood down or... Um, you know, I know with, uh, I don't know, with JobKeeper in 2020, you were still considered employed, I think, you know, when even though you might not be working, you were still getting money, you know, you'd get JobKeeper money and so you were still considered working. Does that, is that still the case or is, do we have different sort of figures now that we're working from? Uh, no, that, that definition still applies. You need to, to be counted as unemployed, you need to have been actively looking for work in the survey period and have been ready and available to work in the survey period. But what if you had a job and you got you, you got stood down near that you work at a cafe and the cafe's closed and so you wouldn't be looking for work like you've got a job and maybe you're getting some sort of a government support payment where does that fit into the jobs data? Yeah, you're probably not like if you yeah, if you're not working and you're and you're not so you don't have a job, so you're not employed, and you're yeah. not unemployed because you're not actively looking for work and ready to start work. So then you're out of the labour force, even though you're getting like a government support because you'd lost your job. Yeah, yeah. You need to be actively looking for work. That's that's the key criteria. Right. So that seems to be what's going on. Is that yeah? There's a number of unemployed people. People have lost jobs. Unemployed people stop looking for work probably because lockdown is hard to look for work in lockdown and it's you know in the middle of the lockdown so who's hiring yeah yeah so it's a big drop in the number of unemployed people as well so then yeah huge drop in the participation rate so the number of the proportion of the population that's in the job market either is employed or unemployed relative to the total population that's sort of a big fall in that 
And that's what, that's what drove down the unemployment rate, was that fall in the participation rate. Right. So my earlier comment of unemployment low equals good is not necessarily true. Not yeah no that's right that in this case it's that's not true that's not true I mean it's interesting because you know the we've been focused on the mid fours for a long time since the start of the year so Phil Lowe saying he wants mid four percent unemployment rate before he's going to start thinking about raising interest rates Josh Frydenberg saying he wants mid fours before he starts looking at budget repair and winding government spending back so it's been a sort of this critical mark. Mid, mid fours, sort of a vague, <laughs> vague term. Yeah, right. But it's, you know, 4.6 is, you know, it's got to be pretty close to mid fours. You would think. You, I'm yeah. no economist, Thomas, yeah. but, but 4.6 sounds pretty mid fours to me. Yeah, yeah. 4.7, get out of here, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what are you even talking about? 4.6, we are mid fours. We only get one decimal point, though, so it's a bit hard to know. It could be 4.64. We, so it's like true, but no one, no one's going to be changing policy on the back of this number because it's all about the participation rate, and we should expect uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate to tick up above five. You would think next month, depending on how lockdown goes, I guess. But those, when those unemployed people come back into the job market, so do we have a? You know, we've got that unemployment rate number. Do we have a number that kind of better reflects? the health of the workforce do you know what i mean i don't mean the, the sort of physical health in relation to COVID. i mean like how healthy are we in terms of our you know people who who want to work or in work because if unemployment being low isn't necessarily a good thing then how do we tell if we're tracking well or not do you know what i mean the, every every measure has its limitations but probably the best in terms of tracking how we're going month to month is in hours worked Right. So hours worked fell 0.2% this month. So that sort of tells us that the economic activity and the number of people with jobs and earning money, no matter how you sort of cut that up, when you look at the total hours worked, that's down. So that's that says the, the jobs market weakened. Mm. It's a worse outcome because people work less and they earn less. So it's a worse outcome for people. So hours work kind of gives you that, that sort of ability to cut through. Okay. I'll keep an eye on that. The other, the other interesting thing we got, we got wages data that that disappointed as well. We were expecting 0.6. We got 0.44 in the June quarter. Yeah, we were all pretty bummed <laughs> out here, actually. <laughs> I mean, I was hoping for mid-zeros and we've... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, so annually we're growing at 1.71%. That's picked up from, you know, one4 I think in the previous quarter. So we, things are improving. We're going in the right direction. Private wages are picking up strongly there at 1.9. Um, so that's good. But you think about inflation running at 3.7, that means that real wages fell through the year um, effectively. So even though wages are starting to pick up, they're still weak, like in the ones, in the mid to high ones, that's that's weak. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and and this, and it's not it's not growing stronger than inflation, which means that real purchasing power is falling. So and and it will probably get worse in the September quarter. So that only has a really limited capture of the the, the New South Wales lockdown. Yeah right. Mm, so yeah. So the, the overall story is that the jobs market is is has clearly turned. It's 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 weakening. The New South Wales lockdown is having its impact. But we're starting from a relatively strong-ish position. But, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a rocky rest Hmm. of the year probably. I don't get it, though. 
So if unemployment's low, and it wasn't long ago, it was like two weeks ago, we were talking about how, you know, we're talking about um, high demand jobs and shipping people in to fill these roles and people were, were starting to talk about how much money do you want, you can, you know, name your own salary. Why, why are we not seeing wages increase? Why aren't wages going up? They are improving. Like, it's stronger than we've seen in recent times. 1.9 in the private sector, that's, that's significantly better than we've seen in, in recent years. So it's going in the right direction. It, it is definitely tightening. But these things take time to sort of play out. And then, yeah, and I think it's probably patchy. It probably depends on the different sectors. There's some sectors where the labour market is really tight and others where it's not so tight. Wages also take a long time to respond because it's sort of there's only a small percentage of the population that changes jobs in any point in time. So if, if the current market rate improves, it's only those that share of the workforce that, that actually takes up that higher pay, paying work. A lot of people are on fixed contracts or whatever. So there's a bit, there's a bit of stickiness in the, in the wage prices. Hmm. I'll cancel the meeting I have with my boss for tomorrow. Then. <laughs> Discuss my salary. Just cancel. <laughs> I just uh, want to catch up. Actually. Just catch up, yeah. Yes. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> All right. Uh, finally, before we go, there's been a microchip shortage worldwide. I don't know. Most people would be aware of that, I would think. Huge microchip shortage since the pandemic kind of kicked off. But it's starting to have some massive impacts now. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, the key thing with this week is that Toyota has announced that they're cutting production by 40% in September. 40 Four zero. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They just don't, and because they just don't have the the chips to build the cars. Um, there's a research firm, IHS Market, saying that the shortage of semiconductors worldwide will cut auto production by up to seven point one million vehicles this year. So that's about ten percent of the um, normal annual production of cars. Um, yeah, so big hit because there just isn't the isn't the microchips available. I, I read something. There's there's fifteen hundred chips in your average car. Yeah, fifteen hundred. It's amazing, isn't it? Ford also said they're going to put one of their F one fifty truck plants in Kansas City uh, on on stand down because they just don't have the parts as well. Right. Yeah. So it's so it's a re- it's a really interesting story the way this played out. So like the first thing that happened when when COVID launched is that car makers got wrong footed. So they expected global the global economy to tank, and because cars are sort of like a discretionary item, you know, it's the kind of thing. It's the, one of the first things that people cut back on when things get tough. They don't cut back on food. They cut back on a new car purchase, and so they cancelled a whole bunch of orders because they thought well, we're going to have to wind back production. And so they cancelled a whole bunch of orders. But then what happened is that the economy was fine and actually going great guns and, and consumers were flush and ready to spend on cars. And so demand bounced back. But the same but, but so then so then the car then the car makers went back to the market and tried to put in orders for chips. But what had happened in that that time is that consumer electronics sales had boomed as well. They were up sixty percent. Notebooks were up eighty percent, tablets are up fifty percent. So mm. Consumer electronic sales were booming. Um, and I think that a lot of that was because of the work from home movement, right? Like, so lockdown happened and, and you know, globally the pandemic took hold and everyone started moving to work from home. I, I remember the employer I was working for at the time. First thing we did was like, right, we need to go out and buy like 100 laptops for, for staff who don't have the capability to work from home. And then, yeah, like it happened really quickly. So 
so yeah, car makers are like, man, no one wants cars for a while. We'll just we'll park that. Yeah, and meanwhile, as you say, notebooks and tablets and consumer electronics went gangbusters. Yeah, yeah. Right. So the car manufacturers have got no chips. Yeah, and so when they came back to the market, they had. And the other thing is that car cars, the car industry only makes up ten percent of microchip demand. So they've got they don't have a lot of power in the market. So they ended up behind the queues behind Apple, behind behind Samsung, um, because they just didn't have enough sway. Yeah, so you had that that's going on, and then at the same time as that, so there's that sort of weird demand story. So chip mm. manufacturers before COVID were already running at pretty close to a hundred percent capacity. There wasn't a lot of except slack in the production ability. There wasn't ability to ramp up production, and then you have these sort of COVID stories. So like a lot of the chip manufacturing happens in in Asia and Malaysia particularly. But then these these countries got into lockdowns with with COVID outbreaks, so their capacity was reduced. So you had this sort of big uptick in demand, meeting a reduced capacity to supply, and that's economics one hundred and one. That's going to lead to higher prices, and chip prices actually tripled. The perfect storm. Mm. I think some of them, some well, some of these companies got ahead of the game, didn't they? And they kind of stockpiled a lot of chips early on as well, which probably like once once people noticed this trend was happening, I think people started like panic buying chips like yeah not like i did during lockdown but um <laughs> <laughs> like semiconductor chips yeah i think i think that is true and, and the interesting thing about toyota is that they dodged this was a, this industry has been plaguing the, the car industry for, this issue has been plaguing the car industry for a while but toyota had been made, able to avoid it for to a degree because after fukushima in 2011 they had a policy of stockpiling chips because when Fukushima hit, they, they, their supply chains were majorly disrupted and it really messed with them. So they said, well, let's have a stockpile of chips ready to go. Mm. So, they're, so they're the sort of the last car maker to come in to meet this problem, but they've, they've met it now and they're, they're all, the, all the car industry is in trouble. Right. So what's the, when are we likely to see this turn around? I mean, it sounds like there's a fair bit of downside to play out. I, th- I think so. I mean, and particularly because it's still largely dependent on COVID and what happens with COVID in 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 Asia, we're in these production centres, and that's you know that's anybody's guess. So, yeah, who knows how long how long it takes? So, like the the IHS market I mentioned before, I think they're looking for mid to you know early to mid twenty twenty two. Yeah, but why is that funny? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's just this mid number again. All right. <laughs> Couldn't be, couldn't be, couldn't give us a specific month. But, no, right. You know. No, fair enough. Yeah, and but the longer it drags on, then the, then you know we might see. There's talk that some car manufacturers are sort of like put some models on hold and are focusing just on their higher margin cars because that's where the money is, and just go like, okay, we're going to cut the Camry loose and just focus on whatever. But but some manufacturers are, have are putting analog speedometers back into cars, so getting rid of the <laughs> digital ones and putting analog speedos in. Right. I've got. What does that say? I've got an analog speedo in my car, right? Yeah. Oh, well, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, back, yeah. Back so to, we might back to um, you know wind up windows and everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. My, yeah, be like, my kids will be devastated. But <laughs> I'll be happy. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. We might see more vintage cars coming onto market. Yeah. Wow. Um, I did do. I I did my own research in this in this area. The it, it's a bit of a crisis. It's even affected the sex toy industry. There's a, a sex toy maker called Crave Innovations out of San Francisco, and they've said that they've had to cease production as well. 
which mm. just talk about your perfect storm. Like these guys make uh, they make self pleasure devices, uh, and they're saying that they you know they have microchips and and things that that exist in these devices, and they can't get them. So they've they've had to uh, they've had to halt production, and I tell you what, there's nothing worse than being in lockdown by yourself <laughs> without your without your self pleasure device, and you don't want to skimp on dodgy chips because the last thing you need of all the appliances you've got, the last one you want catching fire <laughs> midway through a session is one of those. So look. Thankfully, uh, I did also read Joe Biden has pledged $50 billion to bolster mm. the country's chip-making abilities because he's seen the writing yeah, on the wall. He's, he's worried. <laughs> I think it was the San Francisco toy-making company <laughs> that might have tipped him over the line. We need to go long in an analogue sex toy <laughs> manufacturer. Go long. <laughs> Good to see we've got the, the subject of the email already sorted out. <laughs> On that ridiculously childish note, we might end it there for this week. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> we'll end it there. Thanks very much for tuning in, as always. Uh, had a bit of fun on this show, I think you'll find. Uh, really appreciate you listening and uh, appreciate your support. Hope you're doing well in lockdown. If you are, uh, stay strong. And we will talk to you again next week. We'll see you then. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs. Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.